namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddham Dhammang Sangam Namasami Tonight I'd like to talk about Metta. Metta means love, loving-kindness. It actually refers to unconditional love. Unconditional means that it's given freely without expecting any reward or return from the person towards whom it is directed. So in the worldly sense, uh, metta is very different from a worldly kind of love. And when we practice it in this context, it's really a spiritual love. It's not carnal in any sense of the word. So the English translation of love, because that word is used, it's such a mainstream kind of word, people use it in, in every context. You know, love after every email. And that's not unconditional, because you're waiting for a response. So, loving-kindness is one translation. Metta is similar to the word mita, which means friendliness. But a real strict or more rigorous translation of the word is goodwill. And here, by good, we mean wholesome. It's an intention, it's an, a direction of feeling towards oneself and others, which is pure, which is welcoming, which is wholesome, which is full of good goodwill, willing, goodness, benevolence, non-malice, non-enmity, non-aversion. So friendship with that which is lovely. And that word is graduated from the word metta, and it's kalyanamitta. This is a lovely friend, a friendship which is lovely. So any friendship that's based on metta, you can call uh, a kalyanamitta a spiritual friend. And the word kalyana, which means lovely, loveliness, refers to at first we might think of an external friend, someone on the outside. This is my spiritual friend. But as we practice this path of purification, we begin to notice that the real spiritual friend is within us. Within us is the spiritual friend. You might say, I, I know for a long time I thought that my best friend would be a spiritual friend. Then I began to think of my teacher as my spiritual friend, my best friend. 
my parents were my spiritual friends, my kalyanamitas. But ultimately the Buddha is our best friend, our spiritual friend, our guide, our, our light in, in a dark land. And even that, when the teaching is really deeply embedded in our hearts, then the Buddha dwells within us. The Buddha, that Buddha nature is already within us. We have the potential, the ability, the, the energy and the qualities within us to develop that Buddha nature, to realize that inner spiritual friendship with our own heart, within our own heart. And that would be, I think, the state of awakening. So when we develop that level of deep inner metta, and it is a quality that unifies. It's bringing all the wholesome qualities, all the perfections to their consummation. And that's an internal process. In that way, we let go of the world and we are abiding in a quality of unconditional loving kindness to all beings, all sentient beings, any kind of being, everything in the world, the good, the not good, the beautiful, the not beautiful, the happy, the unhappy. Even we've, we feel a, a peace and an ability to accept even the most terrible things. So metta, in its ultimate sense, in its highest form, is a path of liberation. And it is often referred to as metta chetta vimuti, which means metta that brings liberation of mind. So there are three, three practices of metta. The first one is the practice of metta in, in daily life, through right conduct. And we all have tried to practice kindness at one time or another, or we wouldn't be here. Even coming here is an act of kindness. It's a dedication to developing goodness within. You might think that you want to be kind to yourself, but the kindness that we exercise from within to feel good about ourselves is also outwardly tangible, out, outwardly perceptible by other people. Just like if somebody were to rush into the room here with big boots on and say, how's it going? What's going on? Then you, we might feel, oh, what's he, what's he or she doing here? We might not feel meta. But if we were practicing metta at that moment, we say, come on in, have a seat. Or maybe we'd say, uh, maybe don't come in, because they wouldn't be able to enjoy themselves here, just sitting around, watching everybody breathe. <laughs> that wouldn't be very interesting. 
So it depends on what kind of kindness, what we mean by kind to who. Kind according to that person's definition of happy. Be kind to me, I want to be happy. Or kindness in terms of wisdom. Like what is compassion? What is kind? So kindness in daily life, in how we act and speak. Speech is a form of activity. And speech also happens even in the silence. Is there anyone here whose mind is completely silent? Okay. Raise your hand. Yeah? Maya. Yay. Way to go. (laughs) So that means that the mind is chattering. Sometimes there's editorial commentary. Even if it's very far away. Hey, you're doing great. You know, it's a little self-encouragement uh, going on. It's good. Or, I'm a hopeless wreck. That's speech. That's an internal voice, an internal acknowledgement or disparagement based on our conditioning, our strong-held views and opinions, and our solid belief in this self, that there is somebody in there to be encouraged. But in fact, there is mental process to be trained. That's really what we're talking about. And that's a whole other topic. I don't want to get too far afield. What's important here is that this kindness that we want to practice is not only external in daily life. So we come When we speak about kindness within the mind, we come to an area, the second type of metta is an area of training which is systematic and it's well-defined, it's methodical. It's the cultivation of wholesomeness in the mind through the practice of meditation and through the practice of awareness, moment-by-moment awareness, and skillful, appropriate attention using the five faculties, using the ten perfections, using the contemplations on the 32 parts of the body, using the meditations that lead to the the absorptions, using the systematic um, scanning of the body. All these forms of meditation are ways of cultivating, like as if the mind were a farm, a piece of land, and you want to plant seeds in the soil. So in the soil of the mind, to make it fertile, we have to first remove all the weeds. And after we remove the weeds, we have to till the soil, take out the rocks, and flatten it, mix it, turn it, and then we want to enrich it add fertilizer and nutrients so that this will be a a productive ground for cultivation. So what are we talking about here now? We're talking about cultivating metta in a way that it, it is a meditation practice. And we don't use it only to be kind in speech and action, but we use it to uplift the mind beyond the dross of the worldly life. 
just as you would meditating on the breath. However, it's a little bit different. And the same ingredients that we use for breath meditation are used for metta meditation, the five faculties, and so forth, the four foundations of mindfulness. Um, Even contemplation um, of death or meditation on the breath are used in conjunction with metta practice. They support each other fully. (coughs) So I've noticed in, in the interviews with quite a few of you that there's a lot of striving and there's a lot of pushing and the stress-producing kind of energy that we're used to using for jobs, for getting to work, for going on holiday, you've got to organize everything. Even going on on this retreat, I'm sure for many of you, getting all the details in place, getting somebody to um, water your plants, feed the cat, take care of your relative, whoever you're looking at, your children, your parents, buying the tickets, arranging time in your schedule, bringing your medicine, adjusting your appointments, your calendar, and all your social contacts, turning off the cell phones, turning the world off to get here. So that's stressful. And then when we come here, we bring that stress with us. So before we can really focus on the breath, we have to use means and ways to let go of that stress. If we're breathing with a stressful mind, with a tight mind, then we won't have so much productivity. Just like a farmer who wants to grow corn or flowers. You have a garden, you want to grow beautiful um, sunflowers, <coughs> very tall, wonderful flowers in your garden. So first you have to put down some good ground, earth, or, or dig up the grass, dig up the weeds, and prepare a piece of land near your house where you can put these seeds. And you you work the soil, you till it, you turn it over, and you plant these little seeds. After all the weeds are out, all the rocks, you till it, you plant the seeds. And then what? Then you have to water it. You have to keep taking the weeds out. So the seeds for uh, mindfulness, the seeds for stillness of mind, the seeds for wisdom to grow, the seeds for developing the five faculties, faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom, they ha- that happens in a mind that has been prepared. So metta is this lubricant. It's this warming agent. It's, it's like, it's not an antibiotic. It's a probiotic. It helps us digest and kind of eliminate all the poisons that have been hovering in our chitta, in our consciousness, habitually, year after year, month after month, decade after decade. The older we are, the more accumulated it becomes. Have you ever done a 
toxic cleanse. Anyone? You'd be shocked at what comes out. It's it's horrific, what we what we in in take in and what we expel. So using metta as a way of gently softening and relaxing the mind, so that we can expel this energetic, this stressful field of compactness, that the way the body is being held, we're coping. We're just moving from day to day, sometimes robotic-like, sometimes mechanically. If we're practicing sati, mindfulness, and sampajanya, clear comprehension of every activity, daily, as much as we can, that already improves the situation very much. But then, if we come to this practice, to this situation, with the ambition, I'm going to get enlightened. This is it. Here's my chance. I'm going to do it. Six days. (laughs) And then we get here, and of course we're exhausted. We have to spend a couple of days, if we had longer, we could spend a couple of weeks just recovering from daily life, from all that, all that we're holding as human beings. So metta, practiced diligently and ardently, just like mindfulness, helps to introduce a friendliness with the present moment, a friendliness with the body, these bodies that we drag around day to day. It's not that bleak, I'm sure, but for some, I mean, there must be moments when it does. We get sick, we can't get over these viruses, or, um, diseases, other people are sick, we have to take care of them. But here, we can really relax and let go. Much is taken care of for us. So if we understand the importance of warming up the field of practice, the body and consciousness, our, even our being aware, not like, like a deer in the headlights awareness, but a soft knowing, a soft seeing, a soft touching, a soft way of walking, of eating, of sitting, of holding the body while we meditate. It's called gently, softly, gently, joyfully. Remember we talked about joy as a factor of enlightenment. So metta introduces the practice to us together with mindfulness. Mindfulness helps us be aware of our condition. And and metta helps us befriend it accept, wow, okay, this is the condition. And we just accept it as exactly as it is, without a critical mind, without judgment, just as an unconditional friend to ourself, ourselves. So this is how we prepare the field of the mind. We add good soil, we till it, using mindfulness we prepare, (coughs) we pull out the weeds. Mindfulness knows the weeds. Aha! 
greed, ill will, doubt, anxiety, restlessness, laziness, sloth and torpor, anger, all those, and they keep popping up. That's why mindfulness has to be in the background, just like if it's hot, you run the fan and it keeps purring and cooling the air. So mindfulness keeps pulling out the weeds. And metta operates to plant the seeds, drop the seeds, one by one. And then those little seeds of metta have to be cultivated. So there's a watering them. This is where metta relies on these factors of energy and faith. We have to trust this process and we have to keep watering it, taking care of it. Metta is the caregiver. If we want to be caregivers to our family members, to our, uh, our friends, if we want to do our job well, if we want to be uh, successful in, in our work, in our life, then an attitude of kindness and joyfulness is, is paramount. If we want to be in, invulnerable, what's the word for it? We are so vulnerable, if, so vulnerable, but if we want protection, metta is a way that can protect us. It gives us protection through the Dhamma. And it also helps us to be strong in the face of irritants. You know, we're very worried about, some people are more and more sensitized now to um, different contaminants and different ingredients in food, allergies to wheat, allergies to nuts or dairy, um, inability to tolerate certain chemicals, additives, smells in the room, incense even. But notice how sensitive the mind is. That's physical. Notice how allergic the mind is because of our tightness, because of our inability to tolerate too much. We are so holding so much and we are so stressed in, on many levels. So even a stranger can irritate us. How is that? We're, we're just so unstable. Metta gives us the quality of stability, stability together with samadhi. That focusing the mind, stilling the mind. So sati, samadhi, mindfulness, and the stilling, calming of the mental formations with metta as that umbrella that holds up a protection from all the memories, all the associations that we have to the past, all our projections, all our desires, all our expectations, all this, the whole thought realm, which is like as if we're poisoning our own mental atmosphere. And then we're breathing that in. Metta is that warming, calming, softening, gentle, joyful energy that we bring into the heart to behold the path of blessing, 
some path of blessing. And then our little meta tree starts to grow. When suddenly there's, there's a little root coming out, then we water some more, pull out some more weed, weeds, protect, protect our field of uh, the garden, <coughs> this garden of metta, we're protecting it with more metta, with more mindfulness, with, <coughs> with more stilling of the mental formations. So the little tree is beginning to, we can see a tiny little, little green bit coming out. <coughs> And we just keep generating that metta. If we stop, <coughs> the mind will revert to its old habits. What are those? Are you familiar with self-criticism? Self-deprecation? <coughs> Doubt? A sense of hopelessness? Someone, an experienced meditator, was just saying, today how he felt like getting up and running away. Like, like somebody was pushing him off the chair. I can't do this practice. After years of practicing, after accomplishing quite a lot in the practice, even then, if we stop practicing, we will become so deluded as to think that we don't need to do this. It's not important. Let's go back to our tight little box, cram ourselves in there, and try to live a happy life. Meanwhile, the heart is closed. It's even closed to ourselves. We don't, we don't have that little garden of metta growing. Even our mindfulness, our awareness, can become shabby and weakened because there are so many contaminants coming in and they when they touch a hard surface, like a, a, a contracted body, they don't sink in, they don't grow. But with metta, this little garden of dhamma begins to truly grow. And instead of tiny seeds, we start to see saplings. And lo and behold, we will soon have a tree growing in the heart with strong roots protecting us day by day. So this is a way that by constantly, we talked about this yesterday, removing the weeds from the mind and enriching the soil with the nutrients of the qualities of generosity, of giving to ourselves these opportunities to practice. And then taking the qualities that we develop here and sharing them with other people. How can we share a, an open heart? How can we share from a closed heart? How can we share an open heart if we haven't developed the strength to share? If we think that sharing will weaken us? In this society, I noticed when I first came back from um, a long retreat in Burma, I noticed, even while I was there, when um, the teachers were chanting a blessing and they said, let's share the merits with all beings. And I thought, I don't have enough merits to share. But I didn't understand 
that when you share with all beings, it gets bigger. The heart grows bigger. The field of generosity grows the heart. The more we give, the more joy we receive. Especially if we give selflessly without expecting anything in return. That's called unconditional dana. Then we practice unconditional virtue. We keep the precepts even if no one's looking. So yeah, no, no. But we have to review our lives. What kind of conduct do we have? Do we sometimes break precepts because no one's looking? Or because we think no one is seeing? It's okay. But we are seeing. We see. Oh, what have I done? We see. I've lied, I've cheated, I've, I've broken the trust of someone. We see it, we know it. And then we have to live with the poison of that violation. It's a form of violence. Metta is a time for forgiveness. It's an agent of forgiveness. It's an energy of forgiveness. We develop it internally. We have to develop internally. First, we have to grow the garden within us before we can share it with anyone, truly. Of course, we can try by generating the words, may you be well, may you be happy. But why do we feel often that this doesn't work is because we're not doing it first to number one. Who is number one? Who is number one? Yeah. First, we have to heal ourselves. And in the process of healing, as much as we can, we bring that loving-kindness outwards. But then somebody smacks us, you know, with a harsh word, we don't then give vent to anger. We try to revert to metta. So we have to make a commitment, we have to practice it daily, tend to it. It's a very fragile little um, new sapling or a seedling that needs so much care. And there are ways to do this. It requires, uh, first of all, a, a strong intention. You can use phrases in your mind, may I be well, may I be happy, may I be peaceful. Or you can just Take um, a few phrases like metta sahagatena chetasa from the chanting. Um, I will abide pervading one quarter with a heart imbued with loving kindness. What is that one quarter? The first quarter is here. This is quarter number one. This is the first area, the first sphere of metta is within us. Then the second is someone we love. And the third is a neutral person. And the fourth is someone we are having struggle with. But we have to do this gradually. You can't jump to number four when we don't, we're still learning how to pervade this body-mind with that unconditional loving-kindness. However, just like when we first you know, remember when you first learned how to write or how to use a computer? 
So, you know, like, you, you, I can't do the thumb thing, but I can use the other fingers. You know, it's, you do one at a time like this, and then you become more and more adept. So that's what we do. We practice metta. Don't toss it away and think it's kind of smarmy or something. It's a serious practice. It has a, a tremendous power. Someone who can experience samadhi with a graduated practice of metta will have a bliss that is incomparable to any joy in this world, any joy of the world, truly. It's not the bliss of Nibbana, but it is a, a, a powerful and truly a radiant happiness that we can then extend as a gift to others. What happens when somebody comes to you with a sour face and you smile at them? You don't get tainted by their sourness. You don't swallow it. You don't receive it. You don't get poisoned by it. But if you're, in, in, if you're stressed, contracted, you're mindful, but you're doing it more, not from the heart, but more as a technique than an embodied knowing, an embodied intention, which is embodied because metta is pervading the whole body, from the body of the breath down through all the limbs, organs, tissues, the whole organism is pervaded with metta. And then we become like little light bulbs. If somebody sees you, they will say, wait, I, I, I just wanted to say hi. And they want to get a little bit of that glow. It's contagious. Just like anger. If somebody comes in here and starts shouting, we all we, we contract because anger is, is so polluting. It's, it's a contagious, it's a fire. It's inflammatory. It'll burn down a whole building. It'll burn down the house we have built. Or it'll destroy our little meta garden. Just, just like that, in one puff. But if we grow the meta so that we're fully embodied with it, then an angry word can easily be just held away. Like we have a field of protection around us. I'm sorry. You know, the other day, somebody blamed me for something. Unjustly. Well, there's no justice in this world. It's karma, right? Just a little karmic thing going on. I was blamed. And I had to listen to this blame, and it triggered me because as a kid I was blamed too, you know, being the youngest and being a girl and blah, 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 and all the rest of it, all that kind of stuff. But that's not, if I hold on to those things, no use. But I began to notice this pattern, and I could connect the dots and see that the blame, the ancient blame that I couldn't deal with as a kid, was still in the body. So I felt the contraction. But I worked with it many, many times, and I knew I shouldn't speak. 
And speaking, for me to be able to speak and say my truth had not happened for such a long time that being able to speak even like this was for me impossible till I was, I don't know, in my 40s. So then I kept my, instead of trying to assert the right to speak, I thought, no, that's not wise. Because if I say anything, then I'm, I'm allowing that blame to touch the place which is blameless. So I just said, oh, I'm so sorry. Because if I had refuted the blame, what would have happened is that would have made another person who was responsible for what had happened be culpable. And for me, that would have been wrong speech. She would have immediately figured out why, if I, if I were to say, that wasn't me. So I kept quiet, because I didn't want someone else to be blamed. So I just let it go. It, we don't have to write these things. I myself know there is no blame. If other people take to blaming, I don't have to follow that. I can just, with metta, not to create harm to anyone. Just to keep silent. And I chose the right to be silent. Actually, that was a silent victory for me. Because for years, I'd been very concerned about my right to speak, my truth. But suddenly, I realized that my right to keep silent was even more true. And it was a moment of incredible joy. There was no victory to be had but that, just to be sure in the silence. And a joyful silence, like, I'm so sorry that that happened. And therefore the other person's concern and anxiety was assuaged and I was able to discover a strength that I didn't know I had. I didn't know I had this. We all have this strength. To be silent, to be imbued with metta in the face of blame, anger, somebody else's disturbance, to hold the ground so that we are not disturbed. It's difficult, but if we grow in wisdom, and in Satisampajanya, in comprehending the situation on many levels, then if we take a moment to stop, not to react, then it's possible for us to choose something better. And if we have metta coursing through our veins, at the tip of our lips, always coming out like metta sahagatena, I do use that mantra a lot, sometimes falling asleep with it. It's just a reservoir of protection from saying the wrong thing, from throwing a grenade that we can never take back because the harm will be caused. The harm will reverberate. So this is how we tend that garden. And it's a moment-by-moment learning and the joy of it is, is externally also 
it has great repercussions and blessings for beings, ourselves and others. The third aspect is using universal, unconditional loving-kindness as a practice towards the four quarters, boundlessly, unbounded, going beyond our own mind, our own body, our own karma, across the vast universe, starting with the whole world, this world full of violence, suffering, chaos, cruelty. Wherever there is non-metta, there is a gap for us to fill. It starts here, and it pervades in all directions. That becomes a practice for liberation of the mind. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry.